Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for this episode is Joe Ellis. Joe is the owner of JEM Productions, a regional live production company from Wisconsin. Joe's story is absolutely fascinating. He's an accomplished musician, a former commercial airline pilot, and a fantastic front of house engineer. His company regularly supplies equipment for national touring acts and legendary performers. Joe is currently producing an online streaming series of live performances with all proceeds going to benefit local charities. You can find Joe online via Facebook at JEM Live Events, where he's been archiving these weekly performances. Please give him a like, follow his page, and listen to all of the shows that he's recorded and presented. I think you'll find this episode particularly interesting and inspiring, so let's jump in and take a listen. I'm joined by Joe Ellis of JEM Productions. JEM is a regional production company located in Wausau, Wisconsin. I met Joe some years ago uh, through a rather popular local uh, regional touring band from the state of Wisconsin, and I've worked with Joe a couple of times. It is my extreme pleasure to introduce you to Joe and to welcome you to the podcast. Joe, how are you doing today? Hey, Steve. It's awesome to be with you, man. I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to uh, say hi to everybody and tell us a little bit about yourself. How's the, uh, how's the quarantine been treating you? Um, well, it, it, if you ask me at five different moments throughout the day, I'd give you five different answers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, overall, um, you know, I, I think I can just say we're, we're getting through, um, like every, everybody else is, um, initially the, uh, the shock, you know, and, um, just kind of, uh, coming to terms with what's happening, you know, not, not only, uh, to our industry, um, but the, the world as a whole, I, you know, so, so there's, there was that, um, and, uh, you know, to the full other end of the spectrum of completely appreciating, um, the, the new way of life, you know, for now, and I, some of that is knowing that hopefully it's temporary, but time with family, been really taking advantage of time to to learn some new skills for work and uh work with the guys in the shop here and make sure we're all growing so there's there's been a lot of excitement um in, in taking advantage of this opportunity that that we wouldn't have had um so yeah it's it's just kind of a roller coaster as as you know oh absolutely <laughs> so, yeah anticipation of of uh coming out of this healthy and strong and and uh looking forward to a industry that hopefully thrives for us again, you yeah. know, uh, before, before it gets cold. 
yeah. later this year. So. Yeah, that is something we have to deal with here in the great north, isn't it? <laughs> right. It's a short season, so that's, that's right. another another point of uh, contention for us. Yeah. So I, I would like to, um, I should indic- or point out to everybody who's listening, Joe's at his uh, production shop in Wausau right now, and uh, he's talking to us over FaceTime. Uh, so typically the audio is really good. Joe's sending us a signal through. It looks like a Avid SC48 or profile, it looks like. I'm sitting at a profile, uh, but I do have the audio just coming straight through a, a little audio box into my computer. Oh, okay. Um, just, I've got a, a Sennheiser MKH40 uh, that I'm running through. So, uh, yeah, I've go. got a, yep, I've got one sitting right behind me, or MK4, not a 40. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, we'll talk equipment here in a little bit, but... Um, I've had the I've had the uh, opportunity to sit and chat with you uh, over beverages uh, after a show or before a show, and uh, wanted to talk a little bit about your history and how you got involved in the production industry. Um, I know you're pretty musical. I know you've done some other things uh, with your career, but um, take us from Joe Ellis in high school. Were you a musician back then? Were you interested in live production? How did you get started, uh, you know, with your love of music? And then where did you go from there? So, um, you know, take us back a few years and, and walk us through what happened with your life. Yeah, my, um, I, I took piano lessons as like a six-year-old, um, you know, from the, the resident, what seemed to me at the time, like the resident 85 year old woman in her home in in our town of 3000 in Northern Wisconsin, you know, she was probably like 35. (laughs) Um, But she gave us candy bars after our lesson. And it was, that was amazing. So there were bribes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to rock more, more than that. So the piano at the time wasn't, wasn't keeping my attention. So, um, we were able to get another teacher and, uh, my parents bought a, a little nylon string guitar for my brother and I to share and got us, um, <clears throat> guitar lessons, uh, under similar circumstances. And we, we stuck with that for a number of years and we'd, we'd play the nursing home circuit with, uh, when the saints come marching in and all the folk standards, you know? Um, and so really that, that taught me, um, some basics, you know, reading music and playing and, um, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. You know, we weren't, you know, at the same time we're, we're going, um, up, up to our cabin and, and listen to Bruce Springsteen and, you know, uh, Lou Reed and, you know, um, just old Neil Young and just rock and roll at the cabin with my dad and uncles. And that's, that's what we wanted to do. Um, so we kind of ditched the, the lessons, uh, my brother and I both, and, um, you know, played, played music in our basement for a while. And yeah, my sister would play piano and we'd play drums and guitar. And, um, jump forward i i kind of it it got shelved for a bunch of years i always loved music but i didn't play a lot i i was a sports kid you know so i was playing baseball and wrestling and football and and that kind of took um took me through my early teen years and didn't play a ton of music although my love for music was was always there um it, it meant a lot to me you know like like i 
I think any teenager, you know, uh, getting through things, there's always music there, you know. Um, and then we moved to a, a little bit bigger city in central Wisconsin when I was um, 16. And as kind of transitioning into a new school and new friendships, I, I, you know, I needed something to, to lean on a little more. I think I had more time as I was developing new friends. So, um, bought another guitar. Actually, I got one for Christmas from my parents and, um, really got into it. I, I started playing with more people around school and, you know, kind of thought, okay, this, I, I can teach myself how to, you know, get some emotional release. So I started writing some music and, and got back into it. Um, but, but I would say to, to really answer your question about like where I found love of music, I, I just think of all those, you know, nights laying in my parents' basement as a kid, listening to my dad's records and, you know, I'd have a, a pair of headphones on or listen just to his stereo and it, it'd be dark in the basement. And I just see the lights of the, the, the tube amplifiers, you know, glowing and, um, man, it just, it just has such deep roots in your soul at that point. And I, I go back to that now when I, when I hear a really good mix, like, or when I'm trying to achieve a really good mix, um, that's actually the environment that I, I try and go back to, you know, and my, yeah. my hair is standing up on my arms just thinking <laughs> about it. it has so much power behind it, you yeah. know? And I, I always end up saying, man, like this sounds like laying in my parents' basement with a good pair of headphones on, you know? Yeah. So I think that's uh, kind of that's that's where my uh, appreciation for like really quality music comes from. I wonder if in 30 years, you know, we ask your kids about their love of music, if they'll say, yeah, I had my ear, my AirPods in and I was, you know, <laughs> listening to my iPad while looking at my MacBook, you know, like going through totally completely different yeah, it, experience. It's going to be different. Um from from that aspect, but I I think the emotional connection that they have, you know, I I can picture asking my daughters that and and them saying, you know, it was it was that um, forty dollar record player, you know, with Bluetooth on it, right, <laughs> in my bedroom, um, and it's going to take them to that place yeah. from from whatever they're listening to right now. So I, that's okay, you know, if if it doesn't sound as good, it's yeah. still the power of music. You know? Yeah. Um, your, your life path took a little bit of a detour. Uh, you went vertical literally for a while. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, uh, experience as a pilot. Well, uh, that's, that's really what my life centered around for, for most of my life until, um, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, I've got pilots all throughout my family, um, uncles, my dad, uh, brother, brother-in-law, grandparents. I mean, it's just, it's all I ever knew growing up. And my, my dad was a corporate pilot for a, a small window manufacturer until I was 12 years old. And they had a, a, a small seven or eight passenger turboprop that required one pilot. And the company was really, really cool. Um, and they, they always told them if there's an open seat, then you can you can bring someone from your family that's totally cool with us you know so as as seven year old joe um i was in that airplane every chance i got it was the coolest thing in the world you oh, know yeah. and yeah. uh so snow days or summer vacation you know it was, it was great and if 
if if the airplane was empty, um, except for us, he'd let me kneel up on the seat so I could see out and let me drive. You know, it was flying through the clouds. It was it was amazing. Um, so that's all I really ever ever wanted to do. Um, and as soon as I was old enough, at fourteen, uh, my dad uh, bought a little two seat Cessna one fifty and started giving my brother and I formal lessons. And we both got our licenses in high school. And before uh, or after my, you got your driver's license? I soloed before I had my driver's license. Wow. So if I wanted to go fly and no one could give me a ride, I'd ride my bike to the airport <laughs> and go fly. <laughs> so that was There's cool. something uh, wrong about that, but also impressive. <laughs> And those are really good memories. You know, I, I remember being 16 and, you know, after I got my driver's license too, at, at the, for those, those couple of years, um, Wisconsin summers, you know, I'd, I'd go out, fill up the airplane with gas and it'd be a beautiful June or July evening and no wind, you could see forever. And I would just go out and I'd, I'd find a fire truck that was driving to put out a, a farm field fire. And I just, I would just follow them forever and then just do circles and watch them work and wow. and uh almost ran it out of gas one night doing that because i was just so into it and i was 17 and not paying attention you know? yeah <laughs> so lessons learned but um yeah, yeah man that that was that was it you know i was i was hooked so i um after high school and, and while i was um going to the small uw in wasa here i was working on my ratings and um got really lucky and got a job out in, in Albany, New York, um, to build a bunch of time and everybody was hiring a lot. So I was able to advance up into the airlines really quick and ended up spending, uh, 12 years, um, uh, uh, flying jets around at the airlines, uh, had a blast. Yeah. You were, you were commercial pilot flying passengers for one of the larger airlines at the time. I remember it was interesting that you were actually based out east, right? But you lived in Wisconsin. You basically commute to work uh, yeah. via the air. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, I think most airline pilots don't probably live, you know, within driving distance of where they're actually based. So you just go to your local airport and stick out your thumb, basically, and, <laughs> and hit, hit your ride. Um, so I, I was based in a lot of different cities, but the most recently I was I was based in Norfolk, Virginia, okay. and so we we lived out in Virginia Beach uh, for a number of years um, because it's Virginia Beach, and why not live in domicile? Oh yeah. <laughs> so so that was amazing because I I lived 15 minutes from the airport or so, and uh, we could walk to the beach, and you know my daughters were small, so surfing with them was was those were good years. Those were great years. Um, but yeah, then we moved back to Wisconsin in, in 2010 and, um, I was still based out East. So I just commute, you know, and, um, that, that was a lot of, a lot of time riding around airplanes back then. Yeah. 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 And then we'll fast forward a little bit here. Um, so then you got reinvolved in the music world. I think you had a band or you were playing in a band, uh, jump, jump from, uh, commercial airlines to getting back into the music scene. And then, uh, let's, let's go from there. Yeah. One, one cool thing about being based in Virginia beach, um, was that there was a very young, um, group of pilots that were all based there. And, um, 
you know, we, we ended up connecting with a, a bunch of guys who I worked with that were all musicians. And um, so we put a band together out there of, of all pilots, you know, so I, I was writing songs and this was, this was like um, when bands like Breaking Benjamin um, stained, you know, those, those guys were, were really kind of in their prime in the late nineties. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. That wasn't the, that was, this was in the mid to late two thousands actually. Sure. Yep. No, it's okay. one decade off. That's not so bad. <laughs> What's well, 10 years amongst friends. Quarantine times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were, we were writing and, and playing music that was kind of in that, that hard driving rock genre and just playing clubs around Virginia beach. Um, you know, um, got to play the Norva, which is a cool theater in, in Norfolk one time. Um, but we were just having fun, you know, none of us could take it real serious cause we were all pilots, you know, we had, we had jobs. So we would just try and bid our schedules to have, have weekends off together and go play shows. Um, and that was cool. Uh, but it, as I grew as a songwriter and stuff, that that genre was it was kind of depressing me a bit, you know. And and I uh, got involved playing more more with our church out there, and started writing more songs. And I got got connected through the audio engineer at our church, uh, um, who uh, owned a, a really awesome studio out in in Virginia Beach, and. You know, we we started talking about recording some of my stuff, and so I kind of went out on my own from the band, and and you know, started writing and recording um, at the studio, and and just ended up putting a, a ten song album together. And right when we finished that, um, long story short, our our house we were living in exploded with toxic mold. Oh my we gosh. lost everything. Wow, and. Um, my wife and I were looking at it at each other and going, well, how, how are we going to recover? Cause insurance wouldn't cover the mold loss. Yeah. So, but we literally lost everything except some dishes, you know, that we, that were non-porous, you yeah. know, um, and insurance wouldn't cover it. So we're like, well, we're, we're in a bad spot. Let's shoot back to the Midwest for a year where it's a lot cheaper to live. We wanted to go back to Virginia cause we loved it out there. Um, so the plan was to come back here and just just recover a little bit financially and, and get back out there. But uh, once we were in in the Midwest again, um, we kind of refell in love with the area, fell in love with the cost of living, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so we decided to just buy a house and and uh, that's when I started commuting uh, to work. Uh, yeah. Again. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, for the the next step in that, and I. Uh, I'm sorry for the, the long oh, no, version it's, it's fascinating. of this, but you know, my, my music was really intertwined and, you know, as we moved back to Wisconsin, music was, um, I was really learning a lot, um, about audio from being in the studio, um, uh, with, with Rob out, out there. Um, so I, I was taking that more and more seriously and then, in 2012, I developed real severe vertigo and uh, had to suddenly stop flying. And that was, that was a real rough time for, for me for a while because I, I didn't know what was happening. Um, 
I couldn't fly. It's all I've ever known. And just suddenly, suddenly that's on full stop. You know, um, I was hopeful and thought that it was just a temporary illness or something. So I ended up on, on sick leave from the airline for a while, going to the doctors and they, uh, local hospitals here sent me over to Mayo Clinic in, in Rochester, Minnesota. And they were trying to figure out what was going on. And, you know, the, the months were going by and I was like, well, it, it's not unlike what's happening with the COVID thing here. I just, all of a sudden I had this time uh, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start playing more music. I, I just have finished this album. Let's release it, put a band together in Wisconsin, release it, play some more music. Can finally take that a little more serious. And then once I'm done with my fun, I'll go back to flying and all will be well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, fast forward two years and we were, we were playing a lot of shows and I was able to connect with some really good corporate, uh, sponsors and endorsement type things. And those guys were, were treating me really well. And, uh, we were having, you know, lukewarm success, you know, and more than I ever did as a, as a part-time weekend warrior guy, which was great. But one thing I couldn't stand as a, as a, like a club musician was the inconsistency of, of production, you know, um, what are you talking about? You mean like boards that, you know, <laughs> half the channels don't work on and, you know, yeah. I mean, we were, we were leaning on whatever, whatever the house had and whatever the house tech felt like drinking that night. You know yeah. what I mean? It was, so we, I was putting so much into this art form and then we'd show up and, you know, not a, not a single lyric would be intelligible. Um, everything was, I mean, you, we all know what that can sound like. So yeah. it, it, it was pretty frustrating that I was having a, a hard time, uh, growing as an artist because my brand was so inconsistently represented, you know, and that's, um, that's not really serving any of us well, you know, so we went out and, um, bought a, a small PA, you know, that, um, I couldn't afford much, but I went and ordered, it was a Yamaha club system, you know, the old carpeted box, but the old rat you know, fur. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, it was, it was at least, um, something we could control and, you know, it wasn't going to sound amazing, but it was going to sound the same yeah. every day, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was super important to me. And, so I, I learned the system, um, you know, I, I really, that my time in the studio out East, I, it's, it's not, it's not even like I was there as an intern or being taught, but I had this opportunity to work with a guy that's worked with, you know, just some of the world's most amazing artists at the, at the time, you know, through the nineties and two thousands. And so I was just like, they're making my record and just absorbing and observing as much as I could in, in those sessions, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I look back on it and I, I still didn't really know anything, you know, but I, I could see the workflow and the theory of, of where, where this guy was going with his, with his, uh, process. And that, that made a lot of sense to me. So I, I would just, I went back into learning mode um, 
as we started producing our own live events and uh, just wanted to replicate what was happening in the studio live, you know, and um, I didn't have the tools, but I, I knew what I was trying to accomplish as an end result. So I was just learning with, with nothing to make it work, you know, um, and over that next year, um, other people started taking notice at whatever whatever we were putting out uh, at these venues, and you know, guys would call me and say, "Hey, you know, can you do do production for us next weekend?" You know, and um, if if I could, I did, and you know, so so now I'm actually behind the board <laughs> instead of you know running out and EQing things and then going up and doing a show because we didn't we didn't have an engineer following us, you know, I couldn't afford yeah. that. Um, yep. but so when, when people started hiring me, um, you know, that's when it, it really hit me that, okay, I, if I'm actually at this console, I, I can do some pretty cool stuff, you know, and, um, started, started seeing that I can actually get in it with the band you know, from behind the board and, and really, um, uh, just, just kind of go through and, and be that extra guy, you know? And so I, I was really enjoying it and that was, that was happening more and more where people were calling and I was playing enough at the time that I couldn't take all the, all the opportunities. Um, and so in, in the fall of, I, I think it was 2013, um, so near the end of the second year of doing this, I looked at my wife after we finished a, a, a big outdoor show in, in uh, like August. I said, you know, I just kind of realized that I, I turned down a lot of production work this year because we were playing, you know, not making any money playing. <laughs> and it looks like I'm not going to be able to go fly again probably ever. So maybe maybe instead of booking shows next year, I should try and take this um, production thing serious and just put ourselves out there as a business and, and see what happens because it seems like there's a market for whatever I'm doing uh, as an audio guy. Um, and that's when JEM Productions was, was kind of born. You know, um, we, we had the business established for my live performance um, but you know, in, in 20, end of 2013, 2014 is, is when we put ourselves out as, as an entity and, um, able to, able to luckily get a, a pretty good, you know, contract with the city of Wausau doing their summer concert series at their outdoor venue. Um, and that, that was really the big catalyst of, uh, you know, that allowed me to buy, you know, what like a professional grade sound system, get into some digital consoles and, um, actually go to work, you know, yeah, yeah. um, and, and have some tools to do it. So yeah. that's, that was when it, when it started. That's awesome. So yeah. you're, uh, that's a really great way to segue a little bit into what JEM's capabilities are and, and some of your equipment. Uh, you're a pretty prominent RCF, uh, shop, I know you've got a number of HDL 50 cabinets and 20s, um, 9007s, which absolutely hammer. <laughs> I had a lot of fun mixing a couple of shows on those uh, when I was doing some freelance with you. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, 
you know, making the jump over to sort of large format systems and uh, what your experience around that has been. Talk a little bit about your desks, um, you know, some of those things. I know, well, I'll let you do the talking. I won't uh, put words in your mouth. Yeah, no worries. Um, you pretty much summarize uh, where we're at with audio. I um, really, really like the RCF product. I, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people know RCF without, knowing that they know RCF, you know, that their components show up in a lot of places. Um, so it's, it's great gear. Um, I didn't have to sell any of my children to get into it, you know, um, which really helps, you know, I think there's a really good market, um, for that, but it's, um, it's just been really, really stable for us and really reliable, which, you know, as a company, uh, you have the choice of, of, you know, buying products that, that, you know, that uh, so many things are a concern. So I don't really know how to say this, you know, budget, you know, money rules all, you know, right. that's, right. that's one thing we always used to say in flying is, you know, what, what, what makes an airplane fly, you know, and everyone will say it's the wings, but it's, it's, we always said it's money. <laughs> yeah. Money makes it fly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I think that's our industry too. You know, I mean, this money makes this thing happen. And, and, uh, that's kind of one of the philosophies of, of, uh, my shop here is that I, I constantly remind our guys that anybody can go get this stuff, you know, anyone with a checkbook or, uh, a generous banker can go buy a warehouse full of, uh, the best gear, you know, and, um, and they can just go out and push the faders up and it's, it's going to sound all right. You know, most, most people are not going to notice if it's great or if it's just okay, they're going to have a good time at the show. And so, um, we have to, we have to do something different, you know? So I, I focus on, um, making purchases, uh, for the business that are going to be reliable show after show. Uh, you know what it's like uh, when when something isn't working. That's really stressful. And that's when you have to really start reaching into your, your tool bag and, and your uh, magic tricks to <laughs> make sure nobody knows that it's not working, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's and, a few plan C's, D's, and E's in those. Yeah, scenarios. man. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's... You don't want to have to do that. Everyone, we're going to have to do it no matter, you know, even the best gear breaks, you know, from time to time. So it's just our job to, to, to build an inventory of things that you think are going to be the most reliable under the worst circumstances possible. And they're going to perform to a level and be capable of reproducing what, you know, the, the best engineers want reproduced. So as we've grown that has become more important to me, of course, um, because, um, you know, one of the, one of the downsides of being a growing production company is that you start buying this really cool stuff. Um, and I was really excited when we could start buying this, this, you know, the, the large format PAs and, you know, getting some profile stuff through here. And, um, then I realized that when that stuff goes out on the truck, I'm, I'm more of a, a rental house, you know, because we're doing that for artists where they've got their own engineers, you know, uh, they're mixing their own shows. 
occasionally at those events we'll we'll get an opener that's you know a national act that's not traveling with a front of house guy or they're sick or something so we'll get to mix you know then but we rarely get to use our coolest stuff you know um as as a rental house yeah and so that's what becomes more important to me is that you know do our audio systems and do our desks have the capability of uh plug and play and not surprising these engineers. You know, I, I want guys to show up, uh, you know, when they get off the bus at, at 12 o'clock, look around and say, okay, looks, looks cool. Let's, let's hear it. And then it's my job to make sure it's tuned. So it sounds like they're expecting it to sound. And when the temperature changes that night, there's no surprises, you know, uh, we're prepared for it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. um, you're, you just triggered a great, a really fond memory. Um, I had the opportunity to work with you with Jackal uh, last <laughs> summer uh, in way northern Wisconsin. And uh, for those who have not seen Jackal live, um, they play loud. <laughs> They're <laughs> extremely loud. And we, uh, Joe was set up at a casino uh, outdoor stage, and I think you had uh, six HDL50s per side. Or was it eight? Uh, eight. eight. We had eight there, yeah. yeah. And uh, then you had uh, four 9,007s per side? Correct. Yep. Yeah. And um, their stage volume, when they, were, when they were doing line check, I looked at Joe a couple of times to make sure the PA wasn't actually on uh, <laughs> that stage volume. <laughs> yeah. The stage volume was insane. And then their monitor rig turned on, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't... I don't know that there's enough here. And then yeah. their uh, front of house engineer fired up the PA. And I think, I think I looked like the uh, Max L commercial with the guy in the chair, you know, and the sound <laughs> like blowing past. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, that, that show was challenging. I'm sure from a tuning standpoint, like you were talking about, because we set up at seven o'clock in the morning tuned by 11 o'clock in the morning, but then they played at 10 o'clock at night and it had gone from, you know, 40 degrees to 70 degrees and then back down to 40 degrees. Do you tune knowing how do you go about, you know, compensating for that? Because they sound checked in the afternoon and the engineer even complimented, you know, how great it was. Uh, but how do you, how do you maintain that consistency? What's your, what are you looking for when you're tuning? Yeah. I, I mean, for outdoor shows are quite a lot different than, than indoor, you know? And um, I mean, when, when we're d doing the kind of work that, that we do here, um, you know, we don't have the, the luxury of, um, I mean, we're doing one-offs with, with all these tour stops, you know, so I, I might know the venue well, because like the, the casinos are a good example where, you know, the casino is, is our partner and they're the ones that hired us and they'll hire us no matter who they have coming through, you know? So, um, the outdoor and indoor shows are, are a little different um, where it, it's a hard thing as a, a system engineer at that point, uh, not knowing who's coming in all the time because, um, you know, there's so many different theories of what engineers want, you know, with sub bumps and all this, you know, super flat response. You, you just never know. So you have to be, kind of on your toes and ready to change that stuff and and knowing 
just know what you did, I guess, um, to get it where it is so you can change it quickly when they arrive if, if you need to. Um, so I'll, I'll do things different inside um, than outside, which I'd be happy to talk about. But like to the, the jackal scenario, when we're outside, um, you know, I I don't do a whole lot. And, and again, that's that's where I come back. And I, I love the the PA that, that we deploy because it's, we, we don't have to hack away <clears throat> at much, you know, uh, when you get outside and in pretty stable conditions, um, uh, we'll, we'll put in, you know, temperature and humidity and in the, uh, software and what it calculates for us is, is generally really, really, um, uh, smooth and, and accurate and it, it doesn't change much. So, um, my biggest thing is, is, you know, setting the subs, um, making sure that everything is time aligned proper. And then, um, you know, I'll, I'll usually back down that those subs are, 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 I mean, like you said, they're, they're monsters. So they're I'll, punishing. I'll, <laughs> yeah. And I, so I'll usually, you know, try and be a little conservative just um i like to take care of my stuff so i'll usually turn things down just a touch like you know yeah. um pull things back four to six db or something as a starting point and if nobody says anything about their headroom then then i don't have to worry all night you know and yeah th there's just so much horsepower available that um you know guys uh, on that system people can you know you can mix a 95 to 100 db show um with it turned down and still have plenty of headroom well it's funny you, you know. mentioned you mentioned db and i remember standing at the back of the the venue outdoors there and we were probably 250 feet back from the stage and we were still metering like 114 decibels yeah <laughs> it was ridiculous That's, yeah that uh that was a weighted <laughs> insane yeah. It was a loud one. <laughs> yeah. But and, and so that, that PA was turned down, um, you know, quite a bit. I, I didn't change anything from where I normally have it. Um, and so that's a good example of, of, uh, and they, you know, Jackal doesn't, that those eighties bands, they don't, they're not pushing the sub content, you know, like, like the newer rock bands and, you know, the EDM stuff that's out there. So, um, like deploying that stage with, with eight of the, uh, 9,007 subs was, it was way overkill, you know? So we were, we were probably running those at, um, minus six or minus eight, you know, that, that day it, yeah. was, it was plenty, you know? Yeah. Um, but he, he wasn't mixing where we had to be concerned uh, about, about the system at all you know, there, yeah. there anyway. And, and for a, for 110, 114 DB mix, uh, that was a great sound and show. I, it, yeah. like, it was loud, but it wasn't painful, you know, yeah. and that was, that was cool. Yeah. Well, and then at that yeah. show, you did get to mix the, uh, national opener. I remember in your mix absolutely crushed. It was so, you got all of the content. It was clean. It was, you know, really, it was almost tube-like, you know, that warm, glowing mm. tube sound. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, how do you approach, because 
I'm getting ahead of myself and uh, I'm a terrible host. So I'm thinking way ahead and not saying what I need to say. So I apologize to everybody listening. Uh, thank you for enduring my uh, terrible hosting skills. I'm not used to being on this side of the microphone. What I wanted to ask Joe was, um, you know, that day it got to be a little bit busier towards the end uh, and they, they opened doors. The national opener, I think, did a line check real quick, but they really didn't do much of a sound check. They just sort of came out and away you went. Yet your mix was fantastic. How do you, what are some of the things that you do from an engineering standpoint to get that, you know, great sound right off of the bat? And it only got better as the show went on, but, you know, what are some of your philosophies or some of your, um, you know, things that you've learned over the years that help you accomplish that so quickly. I was really impressed by it. Um, it was as oh, if you'd been you. mixing those guys for years and I think you'd met them maybe an hour and a half before. So <laughs> yeah, uh, that's super nice of you to say, man. I, I really appreciate that. I, uh, I always feel like, um, you know, those situations, you never, you never get things where you want them, you know, uh, but as an engineer that's that's not touring with the same band you know and if you're in a festival situation or just growing up as a company like i did as a as a front of house guy um that's the world that i live in you know and and uh you never have time at all and and that's one thing that you know as as i was learning to do this job um but like watching the theory of of someone who you know, I was getting most of my information from as a studio engineer. Um, you know, I was trying to apply what, what they're doing in the studio, but making it work at a, a tempo of, of live, you know? So I, I had to learn how to do things fast. And early on, I, I came to the, um, you know, conclusion that the only way to accomplish that is working from templates, you know, um, and just building off of, uh, you know, a similar, uh, similar band or input list from, you know, from a different day and, and use that as your starting point, you know? And, um, so setting up the PA, the, knowing what that's going to give you, um, is important. And I like that, that show, I, I just have the luxury of, I'm the guy that, that, set up the PA, you know, so I, I know that it's going to work with my template because I got to set it up, you know, and when I'm traveling with a band and I have to go into a house rig now, you know, this well, <laughs> you never know All what too the well. system text. Yeah. And, and that can, I mean, everybody you talk to here is going to have the same challenge, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, I, when I'm a system tech, I really try and pay attention to that. You know, uh, like I said before, um, Cause it's, it's hard, you know, your template, you know, sometimes it's going to be 150 degrees from what you need for that venue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I really work off of, uh, different show files and, um, just from, from templates. So a band like that, you know, um, I can be pretty confident that it's going to be 90% where I want it. Uh, right out of the gate and being outside makes that a lot, a lot easier. You know, yeah. if I was inside fighting their stage volume cause they, they were not jackal loud, but you know, they were letting it rip up there and, um, you know, working, working with that is, 
you know, when they start playing, it's like, okay, um, I've got to work with some of that stage volume and, you know, that's where the mix can improve. And, you know, after a 45 minute set, you're just starting to get things where you want it. <laughs> and then th- it's over. <laughs> I think you had it pretty close after about 45 seconds. <laughs> oh, geez, <thanks. laughs> you know, you- the, uh, what I, what I start with that I think is, is the most important thing is, um, you know, I'll, I'll start very conservative, you know, when the show starts, levels are low you know the last thing i want is the band like i don't know where they're coming from but what i i know i don't want is when um when they hit that first downbeat you know it's at 97 db and the wrong things are loud and it's just you know that first impression is really important so um i just make sure the drums are are tucked in you know um and because I don't know what they're going to sound like necessarily, you know, if they're going to be close, but um, and I, I make sure the guitars are tucked in. I make sure the vocal is on top and I make sure that everything has some type of low pass filter going because I, you know, um, that harshness of the high frequency content will kill people's ears immediately and then you've lost them forever you know um so that's that's where i start you know just a very conservative mix and and build from there are you are you uh doing a lot of group mixing so um you know groups into groups or or uh, dcas into dcas or or what are you doing Uh, yeah yeah i mean it depends on the desk i'm working on like um when i go to a show like like we're talking about that we did together with with jackal um you know, there was a reason why I had a, uh, you know, a Soundcraft uh, SI series console there for me to work from because that's the other thing I do is I, I don't, you can't afford it to, to be using a bunch of plugins and trying to make all that stuff work in those situations. Um, you know, I've, I've found that, you know, if, if you have 16 different layers of gain structure through different compressors and groups going, um, you don't have 40 minutes, you know, you've, you've got a 30 or 40 minute set if you're lucky to get it right. Um, so I'll, my product will be better if I just bring a, an old Soundcraft console, you know, with, uh, onboard compressors and and nothing else. Um, because, um, you just get a better result quicker out of it, you know? So in those situations, no, man, everything's, everything is going out, uh, left, right, sub, and using using what i have on the channel strip yeah you're you're Um, oh go ahead no that's but if i you know if i sit down um you know like at at a profile or or something that can give me grouping and plugins and i've got the time those those templates uh i definitely um definitely am an advocate uh, for that stuff you know it just it steps you several feet forward into the mix right away yeah yeah you're uh you're the soundcraft whisperer i believe because <laughs> i've mixed on a lot of desks and that is the one desk that i just uh cannot warm up to for some reason so apologies Harmon. uh but uh, <laughs> i just cannot get into that desk i don't know what yeah. your secret is but uh if you've got any tips um i'm I'll, I'll push my uh, headphones closer against my ear just to make sure I hear them clearly. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go back to the theory with, with what I was saying about PA. Um, 
you know, and it's kind of like the Ford Chevy Dodge thing, you know, I've, those, those are all good trucks, you know, um, they've got different color combinations and, you know, different, different seats and trim packages, but they're all good. You know what I mean? And, and I, I think that where the level of pro audio is, it's, it's all good stuff. So it's what, you know, you know, it's what you know how to drive. And I, I came into this working with Soundcraft stuff. So I just, I know it's super, super well. Um, you know, I've, I've heard, um, I've heard shows on, on an X32 that are just amazing. You know, the engineer knew the, knew the console, um, knew what to do with it, had a good band and, and the show sounded amazing, you know? So I, I just wouldn't write any of it off, you know, cause yeah. if, um, if you know what your goal is, um, I think all of it has the capability to get you toward that goal to, to some extent, you know, some of this stuff will get us closer, uh, with the right tools. But again, it comes down to, to time and money and, you know, that's a luxury that few people have. So, yeah, that's a great so, point. Anyway. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I hear you on the, on the Soundcraft thing. I, <laughs> I, I have that same experience on a lot of other consoles. I just can't figure them out, you know? Yeah, I guess you you find you know what works for you, and then you tend to stick there. And and you know if you can have the luxury of mixing on the console that you are comfortable with all the time, you know you just get better at it. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah t- time time is time is money. <laughs> yeah, I mean for for sure. And I it's funny because I before I um, got into um, you know mixing with with plugins and and more complex routings and and just just on higher quality desks um i i was so confident in my mix on a soundcraft that i remember sitting at home and i i you know like after i'd go to a concert you know in an arena and it just it was a completely thoroughly disappointing experience for me as a listener (laughs) um i just i remember thinking man you could put me up against anybody you know with with their rig with, with my soundcraft, you know, and, and, uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll be in the running, you know, cause I just knew the tool super well. And I, I do want to say that as soon as I started mixing on higher quality desks, <laughs> uh, with some more tools and really learning how to use some of these, these plugins that we have available, um, I don't feel like that anymore, <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> but I, I, I do think you can get a really good result and, um, you know, uh, um, just a- achieve what you're trying to, if you, sure. uh, apply it properly. Yeah. I was never so humbled as I was. Um, I was in Kansas city with stitched apart on the last tour and we ended up playing in this, uh, really old historic theater. Uh, and it was, you know, multiple tiers of balconies. And they had this huge JBL array um, where it was split into two, a, a top level array and then a, a lower level array with this big gap in the middle. Um, so it was a really unusual uh, deployment. And they had, you know, four double 18s up on the top array and then, you know, 10 boxes hanging from it. And then in the lower array, they had 12 uh, three-way boxes and then a ground stack of subs. And I thought, oh man, this is gonna be so great. You know, this huge PA, this great old room, and I fought that thing all night long. And it's mm. just, 
you know, not being familiar, not being in that environment. So I totally appreciate what you're saying about the going back and critiquing the arena show and thinking, you know, oh, yeah. do it on the, uh, and then you get yeah. to, into those tools and you're like, oh, crud, <laughs> it's not as easy as it looked. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, you know, there, there's going back to flying, there's, there's a saying that like, there's no more dangerous pilot than a pilot that's got 200 hours. Oh you know? yeah. Uh, because you're just starting to feel like, you know, what's going on, you know, you know, you're, you're a hot shot, you know, and the reality is you don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so those are the, those are the pilots that go out there and get themselves into trouble. And I, you know, I feel like that's when I was having those thoughts, that's kind of where I was at with an engineer. You know, I, I was, uh, mixing what I thought was great sounds. I kind of knew everything. And I look back and it's, you know, it's embarrassing to, to say that, you know, because it's, it's that level of arrogance of that you reach when you'd really, um, you're getting comfortable, but, um, you don't really know, uh, what problems are in audio, yeah. you know? So like yeah. those, those guys dealing with that stuff in those arenas. And I, um, uh, you know, I've had those shows where, you know, I sit down and I'm just like this, um, I, I should go be a dentist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause you can't, you can't win. And you, and you just feel like, well, I, I don't know anything anymore. Yeah. And it feels terrible, but, um, you know, you go back and, and, and learn what it, what it's going to take for the next time. And it gives us good motivation to, um, go educate ourselves and try it again. And hopefully it's a little better the, the next time. And, do you, um, that's why this is exciting. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you multi-track any of your productions so that you can go back and, you know, uh, play around with theories and ideas or, you know, what are you doing during the, I know you're, we'll talk about the stuff you're doing with Facebook live and a lot of the charities up, uh, in Northern Wisconsin, but so you're staying busy during the downtime, but do you have, uh, you know, a catalog of multi-tracks that you go back and work through or, um, anything like that? Yeah, I've got a few, um, you know, I've tracked a few um, through through the Soundcraft consoles and and through the Avid stuff into Pro Tools with with different bands that that I can pull up and and work on things. And I I definitely do that. You know, we'll make sure there's a console set up in the shop almost all the time. Um, and you know, if I go buy a new plugin, that's you, you, it's really hard to experiment with that stuff in a live situation. So the multi tracks. Uh, play a huge role in show file development and, um, experimentation, you know, and I've, I've been lucky to be able to multi-track some really, really high quality musicians. So in in a venue that, that gives a good clean result, you know, um, so I'm able to mix it with the live context of a, a room and all the you know, the garbage we fight. It's, it's not like something that was coming from a studio track. Cause I, I don't think that that really helps us much. You can learn tonal characteristics of a plugin or, you know, uh, whatever you're doing on the desk itself. But, um, unless you have all the garbage that we deal with every day, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, you, it's just a simulation at that point, you know, without all that garbage, our lives would be quite easy. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah well yeah there, there'd probably be some other stresses that we're not aware of yeah. that, <laughs> one problem would be replaced by another 
Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So I know I mentioned the uh, Facebook Live um, events and charities, but another charitable effort that you're involved in um, every year is the Joe E. Christmas. Mm-hmm. And you um, you sponsor an event and you do all of the production and you perform in it. Um, and they are pretty impressive uh, productions. You've got video walls and, you know, amazing lighting and crazy good band and all of these local artists performing. What goes into that production? Can you talk a little bit about how you approach it? You know, how early do you start planning? What are you focusing on? Some of the challenges that, that go into that effort? Yeah, that's that's a really fun week for us every December. Um, and it's the only time I perform at all. In fact, I mean, I, I unfortunately don't really take my guitar out of the case until each November and try and build up a couple calluses for the December show. And then, you know, if the show is on the 12th, then the, you know, the guitars go back in the case that day and I'll see them in November <laughs> again. That's, um, I guess the, the blessing of being busy at work, you know, I just don't have time to, to play much anymore, but, um, it's fun. You know, we, we meet a lot of people in this industry, um, working with different clients and, you know, uh, you hit it off with a drummer and then you hit it off with a, uh, guitar player over here. And, um, people are really generous and willing to come together to put together just like this super group every year and come into the theater for a couple of days and, you know, generate a bunch of toy donations for families who can't afford that at Christmas, you know? Um, so that's, that's why we do it. We're just trying to give back to the community and it's, it's fun for me um, on the production side because we get to, you know, empty out the shop for our own show. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll, we'll bring all the, all the lighting, all the video and, um, you know, all the audio stuff we can. Um, and the, the planning for it, I mean, it's just another, it's just another show. So once, once we have our lighting and video plot, you know, set together, it's in the same venue every year. So audio is kind of automatic and, um, uh, you know, it just, it just goes in like any other show and we, we have a great time, you know, um, do you fly, you fly your own, uh, rig for that or that theater has, uh, an installed rig. We, we bring our subs, uh, in, in for that, but, but they've got a, an RCF rig, uh, hanging in there that, that we use. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So that, that one, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm trying to think we probably, I don't know, we're running probably like a 45 or 50 input mix, um, you know, between tracks and, and the house band and, you know, eight or eight or nine vocalists coming in there. But, um, I'll, I don't really have much to do with it during rehearsals. I'll, you know, kind of get everybody set up on their in-ear mixes at the warehouse when we're rehearsing in the prior weeks for it. Um, but we'll have, you know, one of the guys running monitors for us. So I'm, I'm kind of out of the audio picture and which is a bummer because it's such a, such a great band, you know, that's one you want to mix. And, um, the, the owner of the studio that I was telling you about, uh, in Virginia beach, he, he flies up and mixes that show for us every year. Um, so, you know, it, it sounds like a record 
you know, um, and I, I'm always jealous that I can't just be out there listening to it because it's such a good band and such a good guy sitting at the console. And I just, I know it's, it's one of those rare experiences, you know, as an audience that it's pretty, pretty cool, you know? Yeah. If anybody in the Wisconsin area or, you know, in surrounding, um, is able to make it out to that show, it is, it's impressive. You would not be disappointed that you made the trek because, uh, it is worth it. So it's pretty cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're, we're getting to be pretty long here, but I wanted to touch base real quickly on what you're doing right now during, the quarantine, you're you're one of the first guys um, to start uh, broadcasting shows uh, from your warehouse of all places, and it, it's extremely high quality. Um, you've had now, I think, three or four bands on. You do it every Saturday night, uh, and again, money benefits a charity, uh, so that's really super generous. How are you approaching that differently than you do from a, a live uh, gig? I assume you're mixing more with a studio mindset, but yet it doesn't sound like a studio recording. It still has that live feel to it. What are what are the, some of the things that you're doing with those productions to accomplish that? And do you have any tips or tricks that anybody might be able to take advantage of? Yeah, it's it's been really awesome i think if you um tonight will be interesting because we're we're actually broadcasting like a, a mashup best of the last four weeks so it's going to be an opportunity to hear the four different bands kind of in in one broadcast and when i listen to it i i can hear a real evolution of the audio audio from week one to week four you know because i this is such a a steep learning curve again for me um, you know, a lot of front of house engineers, you know, you, you hear their story and they come from the studio world and they get sucked into this live thing, you know? And so, um, I've had to kind of reverse, you know, that, that experience. And, um, you know, I've, I've done some post work mixing projects, um, of, of live shows. Um, so I have a, a little bit of a, a base to, to lean on, but yeah, I, I've had to completely change the way I mix a lot of this for sure. Um, to make sure it's going to translate really well, um, you know, on a, on an iPhone, you know, or, or a, a home stereo, you know? So, yeah. um, we, we don't have the PA to fight. Um, you know, I've got a completely separate room, um, that I'm able to mix from. So I've got a, a, a pair of, uh, studio monitors set up that I can mix on, um, that are, you know, they're very honest, um, which I think is pretty, pretty key. Sure. You know, um, so I'm, I'm not fighting room things, but you know, the, the way you compress and the way you, you EQ, um, things have, um, they're completely different, you know, a vocal, for example, um, when I'm mixing live, you know, it's, you might you might be high passing it you know somewhere north of 200 uh and then you know i'll be chopping a bunch of three to 500 out and there's just there's no low or low mid content there and then i'm just hammering that with you know four different compressors you know uh to get it sitting where i want in the room you know right um i'm still doing a lot of that compression work now but if if you don't bring in a that, that low frequency content, um, it just sounds 
like an AM radio yeah. vocal, you know, on the broadcast. So that's been really neat for me to um, learn that when we had a jazz trio in here, um, I love working with good jazz musicians live. Um, I, I do quite a bit of jazz work uh, each year. And um, so I was feeling pretty good when they when they came in and when we were sound checking, you know, I, I found myself throwing up microphones. Uh, I just kept going into the rehearsal room and, and putting microphones on just, you know, kick and snare and um, uh, things that I don't do live uh, because I don't I don't need to, you right. know, but the broadcast was I'm like, I can't I can't pull any of this stuff out. Yeah. So then the challenge is uh, now we have these microphones It, you know, you have to really be careful how you how you're treating the compression and reverbs and you know eq on these things to get them sitting so it still sounds like just a pair of overhead mics yeah but you can hear the content so yeah it's uh, treating it quite a lot different um and it's it's like i said it's getting better every week um you know using a lot of different plugins to enhance the stereo image um that i you know i hesitate to do some of that live because yeah, phasing issues and and other things that it, it can uh start giving you a headache over in a live situation but sure. recording it's working out really well and and that's been neat and i i'm excited to you know work some of that in live and just see if see if there's ways i can you know bring some of this stuff yeah. uh, outside it's uh, awesome too. yeah it's it's yeah. really well done um Thank where you. can people go listen to uh those broadcasts i i know you're doing it through facebook but would you mind sharing uh where people go to, to hear those oh, and no, to, to watch. Yeah. Check it out. Our, our Facebook page is, uh, J E M productions. Um, the tag is at gem live events. So at J E M live events, uh, the video tab has all the, the full concerts, uh, posted and, um, uh, several different genres that, you know, every week we're, we're trying to, to mix it up. So, yeah. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, quite a few different things to check out there. And, um, uh, you know, I guess it's interesting that you, you say the, the live feel is, is still there. Um, I, I guess that's, I guess that's hard to avoid. That's, that's good. It's, uh, I'm trying to evolve this. I I'm bringing, it's so dry that like after I leave the console, I'm headed over to my MacBook, uh, into Ableton and I've got, several plugins and several mastering type things happening there. And I'm, I'm adding, you know, some, some room reverb to the entire mix at, at that point before it goes over to broadcast. Um, and I, I guess that was my theory of trying to add that live space to it. Um, but that's one thing I'm trying to crack that nut of, you know, where, where do we want this? How do you want this end product to feel? And as an engineer, you have, you know, we get one shot at it. So I guess the, the live stream has been really exciting because I still get this adrenaline rush um, as the, the house lights just went out because, you know, whatever move I make at the console is going to live forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're streaming and uh, that I guess I'm pretty thankful for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, home runs all the way around because oh, I uh, I listened to the first show. I've listened to all of them. 
Uh, and I just sit there and I'm like, man, I, I really suck at what I do, man. Oh, I'm in the wrong. I need to maybe look into that dentistry field or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're way too nice, man. I, I really, I appreciate it. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, my, my goal is I've, I've been able to look back every year, um, at old show files, you know, and, and look back and be like, man, I, what was my theory with that? Cause that's terrible. You know what I mean? And I, so I, my, my hope is that I'm putting out work that, um, you know, it's enjoyable to listen to and it honestly reflects what, what the band is trying to do. You know, they're, like I said, when I, when I bought my own PA the very first time, it's because I wanted my brand to be, um, reflected consistently and, and accurately. And so, as someone sitting behind a, the the front of house console, I'd never forget that, you know, that whatever the band is giving me is that's my first job is to make that translate to the audience. Um, and so every year I just, I like to look back and, and say my, my files this year are better than they were last year, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I hope that, you know, if we're still streaming things next year that, you know, I, I look back and, um, I hope I'm embarrassed at the work we're putting out, you know, cause that just means we're getting better, you know? Sure. I don't, um, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, well, I hope we're not going to be streaming next year at this time yeah. still. Uh, <laughs> but I also don't think you'll be embarrassed by anything. So you're, oh, thanks, you know, you say I'm too kind. I think you're too hard on yourself. So it's, uh, it's oh. a two way street there. Well. All right. Well, uh, Joe, we're at just over an hour here and I could probably talk to you for five or six more hours, but I know you've got okay. a show coming up, uh, later today. And, uh, I just wanted to say thanks again for coming on here and taking the time to talk to everybody and sort of giving us a little bit of insight about how you approach a show. Um, you know, a little bit about your production company and some of the experiences. So if anybody wanted to check you out online, um, can you just share, the places that they would go. And then let's also reiterate the, uh, the Facebook streaming, uh, feed, please. Yeah. I think Facebook is probably the best. Um, you know, it's, it's such an instant, um, instant place for us to communicate and, and, and kind of just keep current. So at JEM live events is where you can find, uh, the business page. And, you know, we, we try and, uh, keep things fairly current on there and definitely invite people to tune in and check out what we're doing streaming. And, um, you know, I, I think there's going to be a piece of this that is, uh, part of our business model moving forward. I think the world is changing and that's the whole point of us trying to learn these skills is, you know, um, filling, filling the need of, of, uh, people who become accustomed to watching music this way. I just don't think that's going to go away, you know? So, um, we're doing everything we can to, um, you know, make sure that that's a viable option for us if we need to. So yeah, join us, join us there on Facebook and, uh, um, you know, you can find me personally through, through there too. I'd love to connect with other audio guys and kind of geek out and, um, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to talk more in detail about what I'm doing, uh, you know how I'm getting the results that we are sometime. If you want to dig into that too, yeah. that'd be awesome. Part two, we'll do that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, everybody, um, be sure to check out Joe's Facebook page, J E M productions live. 
uh, at Gem Live Events. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I told I'm, you I'm, sure I'm, that I'm the you worst. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll it's stop. Right. I'll I, stop mispromoting <laughs> you. And uh, <laughs> all right. No, it's, it's, it's all good. Uh, the link will be in the show notes, so uh, don't uh, don't take my inaccurate information. Just click on the link from the the show page. And Joe, thanks again for your time today. Uh, good luck with the show tonight, and I'll be excited to see what you've got coming out for everybody over the next couple of weeks. And then hopefully, this all clears up, and we're out uh, doing what we love to do in front of lots of people and having beers spilled on us and all that fun stuff. Steve, this was awesome, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. This was highlight of the quarantine. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah. It's my pleasure. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen and Heath D live system with sure microphones and waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music, and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. that's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 